This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. Welcome to Tuesday's episode. How is everyone doing? I'm pretty sure if you're living in the US, you just had an uber long weekend. I only know this because I listen to the morning toast every day and they were talking about how Friday and Monday are a holiday. We just got off of a long weekend, although it was just a holiday Monday, which is fine. But I mean, in Ontario, things are still not open. So we did lots of outdoor things like we went to a farmer's market. We drove around the area and looked at horses because there's lots of animals and farms around here. I know people get confused because they're like, I thought you lived in Toronto, but we live on the outskirts of Toronto. So it takes me about 45 minutes to get right downtown. We have lots of greenery out here and wide open spaces, as the Dixie Chicks would say. Wide open spaces. Anyways, we ended up having a really lovely weekend. So the rules in Ontario right now are that you can have up to five people in your backyard. Like, whoa, party time. So my good friend Kathy and her daughter, who is, she just turned two, they came over and Milo and her had a play date, if you will. We had the sprinkler going, we ate a shit ton of berries and watermelon, and fun was had by all. And Kathy did not show up empty-handed. She brought me three bottles of Spade and Sparrows Rosé. Do you believe that? I was so excited because I couldn't find it in my area. So she found some and bought me some bottles. Like, that's a friend, you know? So anyways, we had a really good weekend. Milo was tired every single evening, which was great because bedtimes weren't a huge struggle. Or maybe they were. I don't even remember. All my days are a blur because, well, I've been in the house for a year or over a year. I'm really looking forward to lockdown being over. I want to go visit family. I want family to come here. I want to get my hair done. I want to get Botox, all the important things. But I did say family first, so I'm not a total monster. Anywho, weather is nice and it's just, it's a different feeling. I find in the winter in Ontario, especially, it gets dark so early and it's just, in the summertime, I feel like my days are so much longer. Like, it's almost like I have two lives instead of one. Because before, when we would come home from daycare, it's like the day was over, that's it, let's put on PJs, have dinner, like we're done. But when the sun is out longer, it's just, it just feels so much nicer. Like, I feel more like awake and spunky when I'm going to pick up Milo. And yeah, I don't know, it's just a different feeling and I'm really enjoying it. Today's episode is a co-hosted episode. So I had on Jessica Vander Weir. You probably know her better from her Instagram account, which is at Our Mama Village. She started that and she is the content creator for that account. She shares in this episode her birth story, which happened right at the beginning of the pandemic in the Toronto area. 
It is wild. And she had told me before that she never really shared details of that story with anyone. And so it is a must listen. And it just, my heart goes out to all the people who found themselves in similar situations, especially when the pandemic first started and people didn't know what was going on. There were a lot of questions. And so she takes us back to that time and what her experience was and my mouth was open the whole time. Like, it's just terrible. We also talk a lot about pandemic parenting and so how that has contributed to a lot of parental burnout, dysregulation, and lots of feelings of guilt for parents as they're trying to do literally everything, work, take care of their kids, teach their kids school, and maintain a house that is now 10 times messier, 10 times more chaotic because everyone is home all the time. And of course, because we're doing all those things, we're definitely not taking care of ourselves like we maybe would have before the pandemic. So we get into that. I ask Jessica what piece of parenting advice she wishes would just be thrown into the garbage and retired and never talked about again. And I absolutely love her answer. So stay tuned for that one. It's just one of those episodes that has lots of little nuggets of wisdom, if you will. Jessica is a registered psychotherapist, a mom of two young children, and as I said before, she is the creator of Our Mama Village. So without further ado, let's welcome Jessica Vanderweer to The Mom Room. So today I'm speaking with Jessica Vanderweer. She is the founder and creator of Our Mama Village, which is an amazing online community and resource for moms. If you don't follow this account already, go follow it. It's at Our Mama Village on Instagram. So to start, I thought you could tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and when and why you started Our Mama Village. Oh, that's such a great question. Thanks so much for having me. So I am a registered psychotherapist. I live in actually Beamsville, Ontario. I just moved here in the pandemic. I've been living in Guelph for the last uh, 11 years. So yeah, living here in Ontario with you, living that lockdown life with you. I have two children, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And I started Our Mama Village after I had my four-year-old. So it's been just over three years since I started Our Mama Village. I, when I was pregnant with my four-year-old, I had preterm labor. I ended up being on bed rest for four months, which was just incredibly challenging and tough and not like I had planned, obviously, to come into motherhood. Before I went on bed rest and was pregnant with her, I was working with kids with the most challenging behavior in Guelph. I was working in a government-run program. So I would go into the family homes and see, do assessments, see what was going on with their behavior, help the parents come up with a plan to better support their kids. So I was already really deeply working with families and with kids. But then, of course, you can do all the work and have all the schooling. But when you really live it out yourself, it's so different and humbling in so many different ways. So after I ended up having my four-year-old, I struggled with postpartum anxiety and depression. And I had a really just super difficult journey into parenthood that surprised me again. I just felt so alone in it. And I felt like, like, am I the only mom who feels like this? Which I think now I know so many moms feel that way. 
Everybody thinks that. That was my number one thing after having Milo. I remember thinking back to everyone I knew that had babies. And I was like, there's no way that they all felt this way because I had no idea. So it does. It makes you feel like you're the only one that's experiencing these things or feels a certain way. Yeah. And for me, like as a therapist, and I know you as well, you like you're a doctor in psychology or something like that, right? I was like, how could I have studied this for like over eight years and not have realized that this was such a huge thing? And I still felt so alone. And I remember like crying to my husband's aunt one time who has three kids. And I was like, was it this hard for you? She's like, yeah, it's hard for everybody. So after going through that experience and just really reaching like some super low points, finally got some help and I started feeling better and was just Like, I couldn't believe that there was so little education out there. When I started my Instagram page, it was kind of before a lot of other people had. Like, there wasn't really any Instagram pages talking about mental health and motherhood or talking about parenting from a lens of like, this is really hard and here's some tools that can help you. But like, I get that it's really hard and I don't want you to come from a place of shame. So... I was like to my husband, I think I want to start this page. Let's just see how it goes. I really want to support moms. And I think I want to switch my career from what I was doing, working in this government-run program to go in private practice and work with moms. So for the last, yeah, just over three years, three and a half years, I have a private practice. I see moms who are struggling with postpartum anxiety and depression in my private practice. And I run Arm on the Village. And so I provide education about parenting and mental health and all of those things on there. So that's kind of the longer story of how we came to be. Something else that you said that I hear often from people who are professionals in this space, whether it be a parenting expert or, you know, one of my best friends is a behavior analyst and she's worked with kids for over 15 years, but then she had her own kid and it was the same thing. She was like, Anytime she goes through a difficult time with her daughter, like a phase or, you know, all the phases that we go through, she's like, if someone came to me with this problem, I would know exactly how to help them. But because it's me and my daughter, I know what I should be doing. Sometimes it's hard. And I hear this all the time. So I can relate to that. Even with me, it's like, I know what I should be doing, but sometimes... You just, you don't want to do that. I know. (laughs) And it doesn't work in the moment. (laughs) You know, I I still have that. Yeah. Even now, like that I'm not struggling with my mental health. But sometimes my husband will be like, well, what would you tell a parent? Like, you know, I'm in a a hard situation. I'm like, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Like I need to use my own tools. (laughs) So yeah, I know it's so, it's so humbling. And that's what I've said, like over the years and even being on our own village and have people like take information from me. Like I just say every day, like I'm so humbled by this journey of being a parent and yeah, it's the most humbling thing. Rewarding, but very hard. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, you have a one-year-old, so obviously we both are in Ontario and we are still living in lockdown. It's been up and down since last March. So you would have had your one-year-old around a year ago, which is when this all started. So what was your experience and kind of, I guess, the difference between how things went with your first child and then your second, which was born into a pandemic? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I The one thing I forgot to say when I was talking about my experience with my first child is 
in all of that time, like when I was probably struggling the most, we had this flood in our house, like this weird flood, a pipe burst. And I came home and everything was destroyed. Like it, it, like the, the flood leaked into our bedroom, the baby's room, the living room, all of our furniture got destroyed. So we ended up having to move out of our house for like four months while they had to take down the walls. They had to like do everything over. And I remember like they were there and they're just telling me like, okay, well, we're going to have to throw out your bed. We're going to have to throw out this. And I was like, yeah, but like, do you know how to get a baby to sleep? Because like, <laughs> like I didn't care. Cause I was like, my baby won't sleep. And I like, I was so like focused on that. Yeah. So that was horrible. And so coming out of it all and planning for a second baby after that, everybody was like, well, at least like, you're not going to have a freak flood in your house. What could happen now? Like you've already had this happen. <laughs> Right. They're like, what could happen? And I had this awesome plan for support. And then a week before I was supposed to have my baby, yeah, you see Justin Trudeau saying, stay home and don't leave your house. And there's this free pandemic. So yeah, my plans quickly changed and I realized that, oh, okay, so it's not going to be like the first time, but it's probably going to be maybe even harder. Yeah. So I had her March 27, 2020. So it was the week after everything shut down. I, my last day of my clients that I'd seen my clients before Matt leave, as I was seeing clients, we were getting notifications that like the NBA was not coming back and all of these things. And so even as a clinician, I was feeling awful. I'm like, what am I like? I'm leaving my clients at this worst possible time. And then also trying to care for myself too. Yeah. Having her in the pandemic was or in that time was very scary. And I don't think I've ever really shared about it on Our Mama Village or anything before because it's always just been kind of too fresh. But I was induced because I couldn't feel movement. any like I couldn't feel movement. So, you know, they say check every two hours. So I would be laying there and I couldn't feel anything. So they had a non-stress test and it wasn't great. So they're like, let's just get you in. Let's get you induced. And so I went into the hospital and everyone was freaking out about COVID. Like there was an, there was an outbreak in the hospital. My husband couldn't be with me until it was basically, it was time to induce me. And then they, they, they brought him in. So I had to get the IV in and all this stuff all by myself. And I had, I was just, I was so anxious more than like I've probably ever been. At the same time, my parents actually had COVID. So and it was before we really knew, like, you're going to be okay. Like, like, most, like a lot of people are going to be okay if you have COVID. Everything on the news at that point was like, like basically, you're going to die if you have COVID. So both my parents were super sick at the time. Uh, my mom has asthma. So I was just like, I was just so stressed out. And then going through the induction process, I was induced with my first, so I knew what to expect. So that was okay. But even the nurses, like I knew that they were stressed. I could hear them talking about COVID kind of like in the background. And at one point I had to say like, can you please stop talking about this? Like I'm trying to give birth here and it's, I'm very stressed. I really didn't want to have an epidural because the first time I just had like a bad experience with it and nothing against epidurals at all, but I couldn't have any of the other medication because they weren't giving like laughing gas or anything about like that because it, it's airborne, I guess. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to go through this induction with no pain med. 
So that was in hindsight, like it's just because I was so anxious about everything. I was like, I just can't, like, I just can't go through this epidural after the last time. So they ended up giving me some anti-anxiety medication halfway through. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like, thank you so much for this. And then near the end, I ended up being like, okay, I need to have an epidural. Like I'm in so much pain. So they gave it to me. And then like seconds after the epidural was in, I was like, I have to push and she came out. So it never, Oh my gosh! it was intense. It was very intense. And I think the whole birth experience probably would have been okay. Had it not been for just the collective anxiety that everybody was feeling at that time. So yeah, like that only way I can describe that whole process was just intense. Like it was so intense. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there, and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. We often think about right now how people are going through pregnancy and labor and delivery in COVID times. 
but I never really considered what it would have been like right at the beginning when there were so many unknowns. And like you were saying, it was this big, scary thing on the news. As soon as they started closing down professional sports, I was like, oh shit, this is clearly a big deal because if they're going to lose all this money and close down professional sports, like it's a big deal. And then, yeah, just to think about the environment at the hospital and what that would have been like, especially if they had an outbreak and... Yeah, like like you're sitting in the hospital I was in, they have a little waiting area that I had to sit in by myself while my husband was, because he wasn't allowed in there yet. And they just had the news on. And so it's just like, it was just Trudeau, it was just like things of like Trudeau, you know, like all these people just saying, stay home, don't go anywhere. And then it was just pictures of like different other hospitals, like carrying out bodies and like, it like that was very traumatic to be sitting as a pregnant woman with your parents both having COVID being like, like what's happening? Like in my mind at that time, like I was convinced, like I was never going to see my parents again. Like it was awful. Like a million emotions all at once. And you're about to give birth and just that in and of itself, giving birth in a perfect environment with nothing going on is so emotional and up and down and a lot to deal with. So throw on top of that, all of this stuff, like that's a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. And so after I gave birth, I was basically like, I want to leave, like, let me leave. (laughs) And it was like 10 o'clock at night and they were like, well, you should probably stay because I was like bleeding a lot. And so I was like, okay, fine, I'll stay. But then I'm leaving first thing in the morning because I wanted to get home and I wanted to get home with my daughter who thankfully my friends took her in. Like we were like, where are we supposed to bring her? Because <laughs> she wasn't allowed to go anywhere. But yeah, our friends, they were like, they, she was supposed to go to my parents, but they were like, okay, we'll just, we'll just keep her. So my friends took her and then we picked her up a few days later, which was super nice. But like, I will say going home and then having that time where no one could actually visit us, we just were with just our new baby. Like those days were actually really cool. And in a way, like as stressful as the world was, you know, when you usually have a baby and it's like, okay, well, I guess I have to share this baby now with all these people in my life. It was just my husband, me and the new baby. So that was that part I will say was like a silver lining cool part. Yeah. So that was like that really intense experience. And then after that was still really intense because again, like we didn't know anything about COVID at the time. So then you have a new baby and the world is still like the messaging is basically like, if you get this, like it's going to be horrible, which it is for a lot of people. Like I But we also know now that like a a lot of people are also okay. So yeah, we didn't see anybody. We had, I had my preschooler, then my newborn and myself and my husband could only take a few days off work. So then it was like, okay, I guess now I have to figure out how to be a mom with zero support. So then that was another unique set of challenges. And like my parents didn't live near me at the time. So like my mom was like, okay, well, like once she was healed, which was maybe like eight weeks later, she was like, okay, now I've healed. I've had COVID. Like, do you think I could come and help? And we had to talk about like, I'm not sure. 
like, what if you get caught driving to my house, which is an hour and a half away and like you get a ticket or what will that look like? Or what will, what if someone finds out that you came and visited me? Like, will you get in huge trouble? And so I don't think anyone ended up holding the baby except for us for the first three months, which was like, again, like there was some parts of it that were slow and nice because I had a lot of time just holding my own baby, which was really lovely. But it was also, yeah, very stressful. Does your husband work out of the house? Like, is he an essential worker? He was home. So he was working, but he was working from home. So that was a saving grace at the time. Because at least if like everything was awful, his boss was really understanding. And I would just be like, I need you to come upstairs and, you know, work while our oldest watches a show or something. So I can just go and rest with the baby. So that was really good. How do you manage... Because I'm thinking about me in quarantine with just Milo. My husband works out of the house, but that was difficult enough. And I can't imagine, because at that time, the first quarantine, daycares were closed and preschools and schools. So everybody was at home. Like you had a newborn and a three-year-old. Like, how are you still here to tell me this story (laughs) is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Uh, It was you know, when you're in it, you're just like, I'm in it. Like, it's like an adrenaline. You just, yeah, it's adrenaline. Like you're just going. But then after, like, I look back, I'm like, how did I do it? Like, I don't know, to be honest. Yeah. We watched a lot of Frozen. Yeah. I know like as a psychotherapist, like, you know, we talk about screen time, but sometimes that all goes out the window. We watched a lot of Frozen 1 and 2 and it was hard. Like I, I bled for a long time. It took my body a really, really long time to heal from birth. Just because, you know, they say, oh, we have a placenta-sized wound, like you should be laying down. But I couldn't because I had a three-year-old and a newborn and no help. So it took me a really long time to heal from birth. And yeah, it was it was really hard. And so eventually around the three-month mark, maybe a little bit before my husband and I decided like for my mental health that we had to start, we had to let help happen because she like the baby wasn't sleeping super well. The three-year-old needed all my attention. It just wasn't working. So then we let my mom come and that was like probably the best decision we could have made having her help. And she would stay because we didn't live near her. We actually moved closer to my family. So now that's why we moved. We live closer to them now but she would stay for like four or five days at a time and just help out. And then that's when I started to finally kind of get back up on my feet again. But yeah, like I think every parent in that time, like no daycare, all your plans are gone, right? Like my daughter was supposed to be in daycare three days a week when we had the baby and my friend was going to take her. Like, yeah, all of those plans were just gone. My biggest thing in postpartum was hanging out with my good friends who also had newborns around the same time. It was so important for me to have a plan to, oh, on Tuesday, we're going to go to this early childhood center and do this art class with our babies, or we're going to go for a walk on a trail. And it just got me out of the house, like getting ready. And it was like a social thing to do. We could talk about everything that we were going through. And I always think about how in the last year, people who have had kids, 
there isn't that opportunity anymore. And it's so heartbreaking because for me, getting out of the house and doing things with people was so important. Like it's just a support system. Right. And it it helps you feel like you're not alone because you can talk to your friend. They're like, yeah, we had a horrible night of sleep last night too. And we're not feeling good or, you know, this is really hard. But when you don't have that, I think for me in a way it was easier, not that it was easy, but I had a three-year-old and I also knew so much about mental health postpartum. So this time around, I was aware I could notice the signs in myself and I knew that every other mom was struggling. So I didn't feel alone in it at all versus like for everybody who's just a first, like a first time, a new mom and who doesn't know that and doesn't have it doesn't have that social support to say like, oh yeah, this is really hard for me too. Or like, this is what I'm struggling with. Like, I just, I can't imagine, honestly. I know it's been such a hard year for for parents just in general. Not to be depressing on here, but yeah, <laughs> that's the reality. Like it's it's been, it's been tough. Yeah, for sure. We were going to talk a little bit about triggers that parents are facing right now. I know for me, even though Milo He's in daycare, luckily, right now. So I'm able to still do my stuff during the day. But my biggest thing is that every day feels the exact same. Like there's no change. It's like we wake up at this time, we got Milo ready, I drive him to school, I come back, I do work, I go pick him up. It's like Groundhog Day every single day. And then the weekends, there's nothing to look forward to, which is odd. Because I feel like as parents or even anybody You always have stuff in your calendar that you're looking forward to going to do. Even if it was like, in July, we're going to go to Vancouver and visit my husband's parents. Like, there's stuff going on. And not every day feels the same. You go play at your friend's house. You go here. You take them to the aquarium. But now it's just like nothing. Every day is the exact same. So that's been like a struggle for me. And every once in a while, I get like a low mood. And I'm like, why do I feel this way? And it's like, oh... Because I haven't seen anybody in like a year (laughs) and I've done nothing. (laughs) So luckily for me, I get to have these conversations with people all the time at home. Otherwise, oh my God, what would I be doing like by myself in the house? But yeah, so what are some other things that parents are struggling with right now? Yeah, so I think that is a huge one. The the Groundhog Day, yeah, just feeling like you're doing the same thing over and over I think a big trigger for parents, like I was kind of talking about too, is just not having that help, that support. So we're just feeling more dysregulated because we're tired, we're overwhelmed. Like, yeah, I remember before we moved back, my daughter's going through this sleep regression. She wasn't sleeping. And again, like she was like maybe six months old at the time and I'm trying to take care of a three-year-old and you're just running on nothing. And it's just not really a way that we can live like we're meant to be in community with each other. So I think just having that lack of like physical support has been a huge trigger for people as well. And then something else I've noticed this last year in the conversations I'm having in the work that I'm doing is a lot of like people are being triggered by memories of their past or dealing with family relationships. And I think a lot of this is to do with differences of opinions on how to deal with things, how to deal with COVID, grandparents maybe wanting to see their grandkids or not being as careful as their kids would like and or not respecting boundaries. And a lot of like this work that we talk about on our Mom Village called reparenting, it's like 
reflecting on these triggers from our past experiences and setting these boundaries and stuff. I think a lot of that has been coming up over this last year too. I'm not sure if you've heard of that happening with the people that you talk to or... A lot of people have talked about, I think, the issue of people maybe not taking COVID as seriously as you are and like in-laws or something, especially when it's a new baby, you know, everybody thinks it's about them and they want to go see the baby. So if you were to give advice to someone about how to set a boundary, because I get asked that all the time, how do you set boundaries with in-laws or even with your own parents when it comes to you know, maybe parenting choices that you make that they don't agree with, or if you're in lockdown in Ontario and you don't want people visiting, but they think they should be able to go visit. What are some things that people can do to set boundaries? Yeah, it's so hard, right? And I know like in my friends, like everybody has a different opinion and a different way of doing it. And you've got to like find what works for your family, and like I said, like that time with my husband, I was like, I need to have my mom here. Like, I, I just have to. And it's like for my mental health. And so like we weighed like, okay, well, you know, the COVID versus mental health and what's that look like? But yeah, sometimes you have it where your parents are like, no, I need to be there. And you're like, actually, I can't have you here. So something I think about for boundaries when I'm like trying to set them with someone or I'm teaching my clients to set them is you're allowed to set the boundary and the other person is allowed to respond however they want to that boundary. And we can't control that. And that's really, really hard, especially if you feel like you're more of like a people pleaser or you just want everybody to be happy with you, which most people do. So I really, when I'm thinking about setting a boundary, think about acknowledging the feeling, acknowledging the want that that person has. They really want to see your baby. That's valid. I think it's valid. Grandparents want to see their grandchildren. That makes sense. So acknowledging that want, validating it for them, and then knowing for you what your negotiables and non-negotiables are for the boundary. So if it's like a non-negotiable, you know what? No, you can't hold my baby. I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't want to take that risk. Then you have to let them know that. Like that's the most loving thing that you can do versus like beating around the bush or ignoring their texts. The most loving thing you can do is really just be upfront with them and tell them, hey, I know you really, really want to see the baby. For us, we're not comfortable right, th- right now with that. That's not something that we can do. And then offer them something that you could do. So, you know, you could come over. That's what we had to say at the beginning too. You could come and have a visit on our deck and you can see the baby from a distance and we'll separate the chairs and you can see the baby that way. Or we could FaceTime you or, you know, try and explore some other options that you can offer at the same time. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. 
The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair's too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. I like how you said you can't control their response because I think that's what a lot of people are afraid of. Even when it comes to communicating your needs or something that you want from your partner, people don't want to say something because they're afraid of their response. But I like that. Just You have to just put it out there and you're not responsible for how they react. Yeah, it's exact same with our kids, with our partners, with our parents. It's our job. And it is loving to just say it how it is. Like, I know it's hard to not, like for me, my impulse sometimes is just like ignore, you know, fight or flight, just like flight, like don't look at it. But it's so much more loving to just say, this is how it is. This is how we feel. And then when they have their reaction, just remember, like almost like visualize, like that's theirs. Like that's not mine. That's their reaction. And they're allowed to have it. I find that that is really helpful when you're setting that boundary. And like you were saying, it was nice to give birth in the pandemic with regard to not having visitors through the doors after coming home from the hospital. And I, this is like my number one passion when it comes to the postpartum period is people standing up for themselves to set that boundary with family, friends, whoever it might be that you don't want visitors. Because I have heard the most heartbreaking stories from other moms about how they felt that way. They had really bad anxiety. They didn't want people holding their baby. Your emotions are all over the place and you're bleeding and physically recovering from something that is trauma. And people just don't say anything. And then family is like over, they're crowded in their house and then they're sitting there 
anxious, and miserable. Like I want to create a greeting card or something that moms or soon-to-be moms can send to family and friends. That's like, hey, we're about to have a baby. Here's the rules. (laughs) And then they can just send it out and that's it. That's my project that I need to start working on. Yeah, or a little sign on their door. Like, thanks so much for coming. Feel free to drop off a coffee right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) coffee drop box right here. Uh, So we talked a little bit about burnout, which every time I read about burnout, usually it's on an Instagram post or something. I read some of the things and I'm like, oh my God, yeah. Because I think we hear the word burnout, but we don't really know what that means or what to look for in ourselves if we're experiencing it. And I can definitely, you know, some weeks when I'm just super focused on work, 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 I definitely can start to feel those feelings. But can you describe a little bit about what burnout is and what it feels like to be burnt out? Yeah, for sure. So feeling burnt out, I often think about like one of my first warning signs is things that I used to enjoy or find pleasure in. I just no longer, or you just no longer find pleasure or joy in those things. So just feeling like, you know, I used to really enjoy working. I used to really like that used to fill me up. And now I just am like dreading it or not interested in it. Feeling that lack of motivation. So things like you might usually be motivated to like go out for a walk or work or something like that. And you no longer feel that way. Just kind of feeling like an overall sense of blah above everything. That's not a very clinical term. That is my word for describing my mood so often in the last year. It's like, I'm just blah. And my husband's like, what? (laughs) I'm like, don't you understand? (laughs) I'm blah. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's not the most clinical way to describe it, but that's the kind of sense that burnout is. You're not in a depression. Like you're not in a state of depression. You're not feeling suicidal. You're not feeling super intrusive or depressive, anxious thoughts, but you're just kind of feeling like the things that you enjoyed, you're not enjoying. You're not feeling motivated. You're not feeling like a real sense, like what you were talking about before of hopefulness of like, I have something to look forward to. And I'm excited about that. And you're just, you're kind of starting to go down that path of like, I'm not really enjoying things in my life, not motivated to participate in them. And I'm tired. And I think that's the other thing about burnout. I think about way before the pandemic, before I even had kids, there was a time I was so burnt out by my job. It was very, very intense. And I was just exhausted. Like I would sleep all night and I would wake up and I would just be so tired. And I think that's a really big sign too, is that something your body's telling you something, your body's giving you a message. And the mom burnout right now and dad too, parent burnout is I think really high. I think about my friends who are homeschooling children and they're home all day and they're like, I'm not, I don't want to be my kid's teacher. Like this is why I'm sending them to school. And that feeling of dread every morning to wake up and feel like you have to force your kids to do school and teach them things that you don't, that's not what you want to do. Or you know, like we talked about you, your child's supposed to be in school or daycare and now they're home all the time. You're trying to navigate work and it's just a lot. So yeah, I think a lot of parents are feeling that state of blah, that state of burnout right now. I also think about parents who are working from home or trying to teach their kids school at home, like as if they're a certified teacher 
And then also what I have found is that because I am working from home, I also have the added stress of feeling like I need to get stuff done around the house. Whereas if I was working in an office, I would not even have that option. So it wouldn't even be an issue. But because I'm at home, I'm constantly like, oh, I should just quickly vacuum. I should be putting laundry in. I should be doing the dishes and making sure the house is clean for when Milo and my husband get home. And it's like, I shouldn't be thinking that. So sometimes I'm even trying to think to myself, Renee, do not do anything. Like don't touch anything in the house because then my work suffers if I'm, and it's like a lot mentally. It's like I'm in two different places. I'm thinking about house stuff. I'm thinking about work stuff. Now parents have the added issue of trying to teach their kids school at the same time. So it's like, I can't imagine how frustrating that must be because you have three things now that you're trying to do and you're not able to do any of them well. You feel like you're failing at three different things. Totally. Yeah. I think that's the sense that is like a real true sense of that's how I was feeling back a few months ago, even with like Instagram, I'm like, okay, like I don't feel like I'm doing this as well as I could. I feel like I see other people doing stuff way better than I could be doing on social media. And then I'm trying to be a mom and I'm like, I don't feel like I'm doing that as good as I could. And my house is always a disaster. Like, and you, when you feel like you're doing everything like half, it is really easy to become burnt out and really easy to lose motivation to do anything. Cause you're like, well, I'm not doing anything really that good anyway. So, you know, why, why, why do I keep trying? So I really do see that for parents right now. I feel that too. It, it's, it's hard. I think what you're saying is really good. Like trying to be like, okay, I'm working now. This is my work time. I'm not like, even for me, my laundry is like right there. I'm like, oh, I could throw like a load in really quick, <laughs> uh, you know, but like, no, I'm working today. I have to pretend like I'm not in my house. Like I'm in my office. And a huge thing for me is mindset. Like I mentally have to tell myself, okay, this is what I'm focusing on today the house is going to be messy this evening and that's okay. Nothing is going to change about our evening because there's toys in the living room and there's dog fur on the floor. It's going to be the same evening no matter what. And like expectations, like lower your expectations. And then that just helps. It helps with the mindset and not feeling like you're failing at stuff. Like our expectations are usually up here. It should be way down here in pandemic life. <laughs> it's like lower them and then lower them some more. Yes. And now you're probably <laughs> at a good spot. Exactly. And remember that like everybody is feeling that way too. Like I think when you're on Instagram and you're scrolling, like you just see this person's beautiful house and this person's beautiful living room. And you're like, man, how is she keeping it all together like this? And she's obviously whoever she is, is like beautifully made up and everything looks perfect. And I think that's really easy then to spiral and be like, well, if they've, if they're doing it all and they're homeschooling their kids and like, why can't I? No. And you have to remember that that person, that picture that you're looking at on Instagram, that is their job and they are performing their job very well. That's it. Like my podcast is great but that is my job. Like that is where I'm putting all my effort, you know, but it's the same thing as, you know, people who have these beautiful Instagram accounts and are sharing all these crafts that they do with their kids or like fancy meals and nutritious meals that they're making for their kids. Usually that is their job or that is their number one priority. And that's what they share online. 
Yeah, exactly. I had someone say to me the other day, like they're following my page and I do, I share a lot of parenting tips and stuff. And they said to me, like, you know, I feel like I compare myself so much. Like, how do you know all these things? And like, I could never be a parent like that. And then I had to say too, like, you have to remember, this is my job. Like, this is what I went to school for. This is my training. And when I'm sharing parenting tips, I'm sharing it from a fact of like, this is my job. And I would never expect, like, I would never know everybody else's job. Like, I would never know how to walk into your career and just do it. And I think there is that sense of when you're on Instagram and you're consuming all of this information, like, I should know all of this. Like, why does this person know it? But like you said, even for people who have interior decorating pages or are influencers, like this is everybody's job. And that's why it looks like that. And so don't like, you wouldn't compare yourself to like a magazine or something like that. I say that all the time. Like we don't open an issue of Vogue and are like, oh man, my house doesn't look like that. Or like, I don't have that dress in my closet. And it's like, well, like either do they, like it's a magazine, you know? But for some reason we compare ourselves to to people on Instagram because it's it started out as social media being a very personal thing. Like these are just friends and family. And then it turned into now you follow people that you don't even know. And it's become a job for a lot of people. So yeah, my whole thing is if you see things on Instagram that you like and you're like, oh wow, like this is impressive. Don't feel bad about it. Just take pieces from, you know, all these different accounts and try and be inspired and take little tips that you find valuable and leave the rest. Yeah, not everything on Instagram is meant specifically to you. Like it's not necessarily for you. If it doesn't align with your values, if it's not fitting in what you need to do right now, that's okay. Just just leave it. Just keep scrolling. Like the beautiful interior design. Yes, I like to look at that, but that's not aligning with my values right now. <laughs> no, me neither. That's just not something I... No, that's not a value for me. Uh, I wish it was, <laughs> but it is not. That's like on the list of hobbies I wish I had. Exactly. I I'm like, but then I always have to remind myself, Renee, if you wanted to spend a few hours a day making your house look beautiful, you could do that. But I don't want to. So there you go. That's it. Uh, so, okay, we're going to do a quick little segment. I have two questions for you. Okay. The first one is, is there a piece of parenting advice or common parenting practice that we hear about all the time or that is like a traditional parenting tip that has been shared over and over? Is there something like a piece of advice that you think should be retired or thrown in the garbage? So this is one that's maybe it's changing a little bit, but I think it's still pretty common. And I think that that would be that the goal of discipline or teaching our children is to raise obedient children. I think that that is one that growing up for us, like we probably heard a lot and it's still taught in a lot of different places that the goal of childhood or raising kids is to raise them to be obedient. Like they're a good kid if they're obedient. Yeah. Like does your kid listen when you tell them to do something right away? Cause then, then they're a good kid. And so I think for me, like that is one of the biggest things that I want to dismantle and say, look, actually our goal should not be raising children who just like follow everything we say and don't ask questions. And actually I like it. I love to see a child who, when you tell them to do something, even though it's going to be so frustrating, questions it. Because I think when we raise children who are willing to question the adults in their life, 
we are raising kids, not only I think it impacts consent culture, because I think that they will be willing to question other authorities if they're doing questionable things or if they want them to do questionable things. But I think it helps raise our kids to be assertive. It raises them to be critical thinkers. It really does actually help them be in relationship with you. And in turn, will actually help them listen to you because they know when you say something that you have a reason behind it. You're not just saying, because I said so. I mean, there's so many things I would say that I would think differently on, but that's one that I still hear in my personal life all the time. And that's a big one. I love that one. It's kind of similar to not only when you say something to your child, but another adult. Because I think about me growing up and if I had issues with a certain teacher, and this was when I was really young, like, let's just say I had an attitude problem maybe. (laughs) So if I was in like grade four, grade five, and really did not get along with one of my teachers, my mom never made me feel like it was my fault. Like I'm the problem. It was like, okay, well, what's happening? Like, let's talk about it. And I always felt growing up, like my mom and my dad had my side versus even though like I would still get, you know, like disciplined or, you know, they didn't want me to be this little terror in school. Like they would still teach me, but I still felt like they had my back and they saw my side when it came to me having issues with teachers. And now as an adult, I'm like, yeah, teachers are just people. Like, you know, like they shouldn't be held like on this pedestal. Like sometimes your kid is going to have a teacher that is not ideal and that they don't get along with and that's okay. But not to make them feel like they're the problem. Right. And what a powerful message too, because then as you grow up, you know that if there's a boss who's doing something that's not right or a friend or even a partner or a spouse, you don't just have to just go along with it to keep everybody happy. It's actually okay to say like, look, this isn't isn't okay. The only reason I ever thought about that is when I was doing my attachment training and it was like this intensive two-week training We were reading transcripts and learning all about the different attachment styles and how different styles were developed. And one of the things, it made me think so much about my childhood and, okay, what did my parents do that would have fostered like a secure attachment versus an anxious or avoidant? And all these things came up. I was like, hey, like my parents did that. Like my parents treated situations in that way. And I was like, wow, like good job parents. And I remember doing that training. I would like call my mom and be like, remember when you would do this? Like, that was good. Like you, <laughs> good job. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. So nice to hear. As I always share too, that my parents were, were like that too. Like my parents were really like, I call them like the OG, like gentle parents. Like they knew it before it was like a cool thing that it seems to be now. And it's, I think it's good to hear those stories too, because we hear so much about parents who were not so great, but it's cool to see yeah, parents who were like that. And then like, yeah, to raise kids who are willing to ask questions and be assertive and all these things. I think it's amazing. So good job, parents. <laughs> yeah, good job. <laughs> okay. So last question is, if you could share a resource, it could be one or two resources for new moms. It could be anything like a book, a movie, a website. What would you recommend? So for new moms, I would say if you're looking for support for your mental health and you just don't know where to start, where to even look for a provider, Postpartum Support International would be your resource. 
they have providers. It's international. So all over the world, you can see that's where I did my training in perinatal mental health. You can see who's been trained in that. Because I think when you're seeking a, a therapist or mental health support, like you really want to seek someone who knows what they're doing. Because even though there's so many incredible therapists, it is just such a special, different, intimate time of your life. And it's important to have a therapist who knows the intricacies of it. So that would be a website I'd really suggest for them. There's an awesome book for any mom struggling with anxiety or intrusive thoughts. It's called Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts. Ah, I've heard a lot about that book. Yeah, it's, it's good. I had it always in my office. I think I let someone borrow it and I never got it back. But uh, I had it always in my office and it just has these little graphics and moms are just sharing these scary or different kind of hard thoughts that they've had. And it's just really validating to read it through and be like, man, I thought that, or I thought that, and I thought nobody else ever felt that way. So it's a great little coffee table book. So those would be two places I would look into if I was struggling with my mental health. I'll link those in the episode notes so that people can find them. Lastly, where can people find you online? And does Our Mama Village offer different programs or anything like that online? Yeah, so we're Our Mama Village M-A-M-A, just because not everybody, there's lots of ways to spell mama. But we're that on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. And then we have our website. We have a few courses. So we have a parenting course. I just finished re-recording all the lessons uh, this last week we were filming. So we have a parenting course that helps you with your infants all the way to six-year-olds. It's a comprehensive course. And then we also have a course called Calming Anxiety and Motherhood. And it's it's a simple, it's short, it's sweet, but it really helps you identify those anxious thoughts and know how to cope with them and also set up like a self-care plan for success. And then we also have a bedtime guide for preschoolers. So bedtime struggles for that like three plus age group. So yeah, those are our resources that we have, but I'd love just for you to come just check me out on our mom village and hang out there. I'll put all those things in the episode notes as well. Are you going to download TikTok and start TikToking? You know what? Okay, I have to tell you a funny story before we end here. So in those moments when I was first postpartum, I spent a lot of time on TikTok and I stumbled across your account on TikTok. (laughs) And my husband and I every night, because we obviously were doing nothing, we would watch TikTok and we would so often see your TikToks and have a good laugh to ourselves Aww. and really enjoy your TikTok. And that's how I found you. Uh, so thank you for providing us with that kind of fun entertainment and also making us feel a little less alone. Thanks. That was my coping mechanism. That was, <laughs> was TikTok. <laughs> Highly recommend. <laughs> Yeah, well, we were laughing because I think you would post a lot about TikToks of like your child being home and daycares being closed. And because we were in the same province, like we could just relate to a lot of it. So yeah, thank you. You provided us with some great laughs laughs and conversation. That's fun. Yes. So I did have TikTok, but I had to delete it because I can't, I don't have enough time to. Yeah, uh, I know. And once you start, like you can't stop. It's just—it's hard to get off of it once yeah. you're on Because you're like, oh, what's the next one going to be? Like, that's me all the time. Yeah, exactly. And then a few hours later, you're like, oh, no, we're still on here. So, yes. But great work. I love your stuff. And I love how you support moms. So thank you for that. Oh, awesome. You as well. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. Hopefully, maybe when we're out of lockdown, we can hang out and our kids can play. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that would be so fun. That would be so fun. Awesome. We'll have a good rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye.